Today we're doing uh, the fifth part of our vision uh, series. And I'd invite you to, if you can, my memory, if not, check the bulletin, to say with me our vision. We are called to be a community of servants. Oh, wait, sorry. I would hope, can you try to say it with me? And I, I, I realize I messed up a word already because I'm doing it by memory. So let's start again. We are a community of servants called by God's reconciling grace to open doors of sanctuary, to create new avenues of ministry, to equip Christians for discipleship, to lead reconciling ministries. So today we're talking about to equip Christians for discipleship. And I have to tell you, I am, I have never uh, struggled so hard with a sermon as with this one. I, I really have put in the time and I, I felt like uh, I finally, at, in the wee morning hours of the night, I decided, you know what, I really need to write a sermon, I need to write a letter like why I had trouble coming up with this sermon. So this is almost like if you had a long letter about how my dog ate my homework. That's, that's kind of what this is, so. But it will raise questions and hopefully you will fill in the blanks with some conversation and maybe it will spark some new thinking and some vision. So one of the reasons it really confounded me that I was having trouble with the sermon is because as I recall, I had a lot of feedback into this particular line, a lot of input into this particular line uh, to equip Christians for discipleship. Um, and I think I was motivated in part by the earlier part of the vision statement, which I think is so lovely and speaks of sanctuary and opening doors of sanctuary. Um, I very early on have felt that King Avenue's ethos and, and a deep uh, way of articulating our mission is about sanctuary, to be a safe place, to be a place where people come and finally feel like they are actually free to encounter the living God. So sanctuary is a powerful image, to me at least. I hope it is to you. And um, of course we, especially at 11 o'clock, we're in a very, very beautiful sanctuary. And uh, if you ever get back in the rocking chairs in the back, you'll find even more that it's very peaceful to sit there, to listen, to gaze at the windows and think. And it's a healing place and it's a wonderful thing. I uh, worried early on that sanctuary might be such a powerful concept that uh, it's almost like a cocoon. It's almost like a place you just want to stay and, and, that, and that we would leave in a sense. We would associate our, our connection with God with this space. So I wanted to get in language that, that makes it clear that we are moving out from this space to create sanctuary, in a sense, wherever we are, 
in the world. So um, I think I may have suggested this term, equip Christians for discipleship. And uh, that's why it's really humbling to me to, to, now that I come back to it, find all kinds of questions and problems that I want to raise with it. So bear with me. Um, so equip Christians for discipleship. What does it mean? Well, I have to tell you that one of the things I liked about equipping Christians for discipleship was, first of all, that equipping sounds like a very uh, concrete, proactive word. And it's a biblical term. If you, if you recall from uh, the earliest uh, scripture we read the, today, Ephesians 4, in Ephesians 4.12, there is the, the phrase equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So equipping is, is something that is drawing on a biblical concept, and um, I thought that would be helpful. But as I started to imagine what kind of equipment are, are we envisioning providing people with, I realized that equipment was, for me, uh, creating lots of mental obstacles. And I think, uh, I think maybe it's where I am in life. Perhaps this is not an issue for you at all. Or, or, but for a while, I have been, uh, at one point in my life, I had a very good exercise routine. It's been several years. And in the last six months, I've really been feeling the effects of it. I've been really been trying to get back to getting an exercise routine again. And um, so I've spent a lot of time thinking about the right equipment or the right procedure or the right protocol or the right time of day or the right space of my house. And I've played with all these different equipment kinds of things. And still, I have not been exercising <laughs> regularly. And uh, it kind of reminded me of, of, of something I read at one point about how many people buy treadmills in January with the resolutions, but buying the equipment does not make it happen. Brought to mind a, a, a silly thing. I remember one of the things I remember from my childhood church, there was a lay person there who was uh, very active in the church and, and periodically he would bring these little wooden round uh, things and he would hand them to people and pass them around and uh, so here, what, what, what is that? It's got two it written on it, yeah. And anything else about it? It's blue, yes, it's a blue to it. It's also, it's a round to it, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so the getting around to it uh, was his point was that we all have great intentions and lots of times when we're here in church, we're thinking those great intentions of what we wanna do. But the most important thing is that we get around to it. And maybe, maybe, just, this might be our most important piece of equipment of all. Not everything, but it's certainly a big part that we get our heads committed to serving, to living as disciples. So, uh, the temptation to be distracted by the word equipment worried me a little bit. Um, and I think it's a real temptation because just about any time when we think about starting something new, um, 
it makes us feel a little bit uncertain, a little vulnerable. Uh, we are not sure of what we're doing. I don't know, almost everybody probably, if not by name, by sight, you, you recognize Marlene, who is the little bundle of amazing energy, who is at the desk, uh, our hospitality coordinator, and she um, knows where everything is in the church, and she can get it for you like that, and is so happy to do so. And uh, I was so puzzled earlier this week, I'd never seen Marlene seem so timid or um, unsure about herself as when she decided to start being a reading buddy and took the training. And um, this week was her first time. And before Marlene went, she came up and, and had to tell me, you know, I, I, checking on what's happening. And, and I knew that she was feeling very uncertain about it. And and at the end of the day, she had a wonderful experience, but it is always a little bit mm, scary to try a new experience. And so it's easy to look for temptations. It's tempting to look for reasons to uh, check out. So equipment should not be a distraction that makes us check out of committing ourselves to being disciples. I'm not quite prepared enough. I don't have all the right equipment. When it comes, I'll get there. So that was one reservation I had. And then a another reservation that I had uh, related to it, the passages that we read today, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, and then it, it talks about some of the the gifts of the Spirit, and in our Romans passage, it talked about gifts of the Spirit. Um, oftentimes, when people think about equipping people for discipleship, they think, well, let's try to figure out what their spiritual gifts are, and, um, and then we'll uh, help them figure out ways they can use those spiritual gifts. And I, I think that that has some temptations that are difficult, too. If you have uh, looked in some of Paul's letters, like Romans, in 1 Corinthians, there are two lists of spiritual gifts. Uh, Paul uses much the same language. The gift of God's spirit has been given to everyone and names some of the gifts. And those gifts are uh, prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, or exhorting, uh, giving, leading, uh, being works of mercy, uh, speaking wisdom, speaking knowledge, gifts of faith, healing, miraculous powers, uh, discerning spirits, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, and then helps. And I, uh, there's some merit to the approach, but I think in some ways it's uh, limiting. Uh, there's no way that Paul meant for the list that he created to be a comprehensive list of every gift, of spiritual gift that a person might have, every manifestation of God's spirit at work in them. In fact, uh, I think primarily, Paul was addressing a congregation that had some people who had gifts that seemed extraordinary, speaking in tongues, discerning spirits, working miracles, and who had maybe gotten a little um, too big of a sense of their importance, and maybe others were not feeling that their gifts were as important. 
And so Paul really talked about other gifts on that same list in order to encourage them to work as a team together and to value everybody's gift equally. And I don't think by any means he meant to say these are all of the different ways that a person could show God's spirit at work in and through them. So, spiritual gifts are important, interesting, but probably not comprehensive. And probably a lot of the ways that people live out their discipleship in the church and outside of the church are just using simple abilities they have or interests they have or what brings them joy or opportunities they have or things they see a need for in the world. And they're the ones who seize it. Another problem with the list of spiritual gifts, uh, they tend to, like in the Ephesians passage, mix themselves in with lists of offices that were developing in the early church, leadership positions, pastors, evangelists, um, and the like. And so it, it kind of gets a little bit confusing as, is there specific training required? Um, and it also tends to make us think about the place where we exercise our spiritual gifts as within the walls of the church. And I think a lot of people kind of naturally think about how they're serving God as being what they're doing in the church, what role they're playing. And when we get to the Romans passage that Lowell read so beautifully, we'll see what what we're supposed to be offering God is not necessarily just jobs we do in the church. It's our lives. It's our whole life. So as important as the church is, our discipleship, is far more than what we do here in the church building. Now, it is important that we serve in the church. And I'll be the first to tell you, always need more people. Because what happens in the church is where each one of us comes regularly. It's the heartbeat of the community of faith when we come to worship together. We are fed by the encounter with the living word of God, preached and proclaimed. And that is one of the main ways that God's spirit speaks to us and works in us, growing in us the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, patience, self-control. Over time, that's how we mature as Christians, as people becoming more and more who God wants us to be. It's not as fast as the kind of growth that happens in a chia pet. Do they still sell those? And I always want it to be that fast. But over time, I know that coming to worship each and every Sunday shapes our character. 
So what we do here together in the building to make this happen, to make worship happen, to make learning the scriptures happen, to make coming together for fellowship where we support one another and find out about what's going on in each other's lives and encourage each other, where we serve our communities. Those things are important. But God's plans for us are bigger than what we do in our church. So equip Christians for discipleship. I said it, it's kind of like the language in Ephesians, equip the saints for ministry. I'm glad that we pulled the word saints out, not because I don't understand St. Paul's use of saints as all believers, but I'm just imagining how difficult it would be for me to relate to, and some of you too, I know, if you read equip the saints for discipleship, you'd be like, honey, I'm no saint. And I, I have a hard time thinking of myself as a saint too, so we just put in Christian. But for discipleship is also different. Equipping Christians for discipleship, for life, not just for ministry, which again seems to pull us into the walls of the church. So what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, I thought it was a good move to put that word in there, but now as I started to get ready for the sermon, it sounds pretty churchy. So I wondered, what's a better way to think about disciple? Actually, the vision team started out coming up with a kind of working definition of discipleship, and, and here it is. Disciples walk humbly with Jesus, learning and growing with each step and sharing that experience with others so we can walk together, creating the world as God intends. I liked it then. I still like it. Uh, I, I think I liked it because um, it's doing-oriented. It reminds us that we really experience the presence of Christ in our lives when we're trying to do what Jesus wants us to do. I also like it, I think, because of a personal memory of my childhood. Uh, my, my family only had one car when I was youngest, and my father walked to work. Uh, he taught at Otterbein. We lived fairly close. Several days a week before I started school, I uh, walked to work with him, and he watched me while he was having his office hours with students. He's six, uh, he was 6'3", long legs. Uh, he walked a lot faster than I did. And, and one of my really most fond memories was of walking alongside him and learning to make my stride as long as possible so I could keep up his pace and not make him slow down. And I think to this day, that's an image for me of discipleship because walking alongside Jesus, we have to stretch out our stride, but we can, and then it becomes natural. So I like this definition. So if we think about this as, what did Jesus do? It gets us somewhere. I went through the Gospels and, and tried to figure out, well, what were Jesus' main activities? What are we going to be doing if we walk alongside Jesus? 
And, and I tried to put it in kind of everyday language. Jesus taught and interpreted the scriptures. He gave testimony to the work of God. He was an ambassador for God. Jesus built a spiritual community. He encouraged hospitality from people and accepted it and gave it to others. He mentored people. Thank you, Addie, for being a mentor. He mentored people. He elevated the role of children in the community of faith. He counseled people whose lives needed direction. He challenged injustice and demonstrated justice and mercy. He paid attention to people whose voices were unheard by others. He forgave those who wronged him. He listened and had regard for all manner of human need. He worked miracles, sometimes miracles of organizing, producing food for a crowd where there seemed to be not enough. Healing, standing up against evil, and he communed regularly with God. When I think about all of those activities, it maybe helps me think about discipleship, but still, it seems pretty abstract from our lives. So I don't know, where I'm kind of resting is, is with the, the Romans passage in its very beginning. Your bodies, and I think Paul uses the term bodies there because he wants us to think very concretely about all of the places where we are. Your lives are to be offered to God. That's your spiritual worship. Your discipleship is every place you are, in your homes, as a parent, as a business person, in your workplaces, doing ethically whatever it is that you're called to do, providing for your family, in your community, in the way you volunteer, in the way you interact with people. And once I expanded what discipleship really is, equipping for it really seemed difficult. John and I commented in between, in between services how both of us have been to a lot of minister seminars where they uh, talk about equipping and they're, they're there to train us and, and uh, they really almost make us feel, I don't know, condescended to or um, <laughs> like we're stupid, you know, you're coming to, we're going to throw some ideas into you because you don't have any of your own, now get out there and do them. And, and I think that's what's difficult for me to say, how do we equip other than worship and study of God's word? And it needs to be a conversation. I can look at the list of things that Jesus did and I can think Jesus healed. How would we equip people to understand healing ministries today? Maybe we would have some education about mental health and some of the new developments. I can think about Jesus gave. Well, how can we help people give today? We could have stewardship classes. We could have Financial Peace University. We do things like that, but you are the experts on the world in which you live. And we need help understanding how we together empower and equip, encourage and resource each other to 
be disciples maturing and turning over more and more of our lives into God's creative work of restoring creation as God intends. So I hope that you have feedback and ideas, and I hope you have visions. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why I've tried two things in this past year. One is Realm, which is to connect you to each other better. And two, neighborhood groups, to make it easier for you to connect with each other, other Christians from this congregation in your neighborhoods. Because our discipleship primarily is out where we're living. And may God's work be made known and God's vision more robust as we try it together. Amen.